We'll be looking at Moses, Exodus chapter 3. And as you turn there, I was really encouraged this week as to the power of God. Now, I had two choices. One, I thought, well, I'll go ahead and I'll talk about the supremacy of God and just how awesome our God is. Let me ask you a question. If you know the Lord and you've practiced out your Christian liberties and responsibilities, the question I want to ask you is this. If someone were to walk up to you and say, how do you know God is real? What would you say to him? So I I want you to be encouraged within your spirit as a child of God. And if you don't know him, come today. Come to know who he is. I want to say last week, Young man here in our church, I don't know where Tim's at. You want to give right there? Accepted Christ as a Savior. Praise the Lord. Came to know the Lord. We spoke about the bread of life. We realized that Jesus Christ is the bread of life. And after service, had the great opportunity to, to pray with Tim and, and as he rededicated his life and uh, just wants to get his life back on track serving God. Isn't that wonderful? That's what our life's about. And the question is this. Do people see Christ in your life? We go to church. We practice our Christian responsibility, our religious duties, as the the priests did in the day in the Old Testament. They had the law. And so they practiced out the law and they said, this is what I'm going to do. I love that when Moses, as as he went up and he saw that bush... And all of a sudden, as he looked down and the flames were consumed, and all of a sudden, he hears the voice of God. And he calls him by name, Moses. Moses. Let me ask you a question. If all of a sudden you were walking, and the table cries out your name, what would you do? I'd fall over dead. Just letting you know. Kind of would startle me a little bit. But I love what we notice in that text. Moses took off his shoes in humility and reverence for God. And he bowed because he knew the voice of God. Isn't that awesome? When we enter into his courts, do we enter with praise? Do we enter with thanksgiving? Do we enter with excitement? Listen, you're the only Bible the world's going to hear or see. Don't just be a doer of the Word. Be a hearer. Don't just be a hearer. Be a doer as well. If you do both, people can see God is real. Moses had a great story. He left there and he said, listen, here's what you're going to do. I command you to go get the children out of Egypt. Now, doing that on our own, and when God tells us to do something that we kind of scratch our head and say, that's impossible for me. Then we realize God's really doing something great. I'll never forget when God called me to start the church. I said, that's impossible for me. And I have to tell you, when I look back on, you know, having a music stand on a deck on 4th Street in Cuyahoga Falls, and then setting up and tearing down at the YMCA, and then going to the Court Cultural Center. God was good to us. He's faithful. 
He was faithful to Moses. He was faithful to the children of Israel. And so he was trying to give them different tools to live their life by. God does that for us. When we walk in the door and it's Sunday morning, have you, have you said, you know what, I'm going to take off my hat of stress. I'm going to take off my hat of anxiety. I'm going to take off my hat and burden of finances. I'm going to take off my hat and my relationships terrible within my marriage. And God, today I'm walking into your sanctuary because I believe this is holy ground and I'm going to worship you. I'm going to reverence you and I'm going to honor you. That's what coming to church is about. Here's an old song I would like to sing, and it's been a couple months. I've been dealing with a bad cold, and uh, this morning I want to encourage you. It's called Holy Ground. I was challenged this week, and I'm going to show you a video. As I was challenged this week, even within my own Christianity, even within my own position as just a child of God, putting aside being a pastor, Islam is growing by leaps and bounds. And people are converting over because we're showing people that there's no life in God. You're here for a purpose today. You're here for a reason. I want you to watch this video. And as you watch this video, I want you to put yourself in the place as if this young man who's practiced the Muslim religion, as he asks a question to a man who knew exactly where he was coming from. Watch closely. Assalamu alaikum. Wa alaikum salam. So, my, uh, so being a Muslim, as you can uh, already mentioned, uh, my main problem is uh, with the Christian doctrine of Godhood of Jesus. Mm-hmm. So my, my, uh, there's a couple of questions that are related. Uh, first of all, I find uh, this concept uh, logically fallacious. Uh, like there are many aspects to its logical fallacy, as in maybe uh, one of them could be that how can God be finite and then infinite at the same time? Like this is like it's like saying that there could exist a square circle. It's it's a logical fallacy. Right? So uh, uh, when we say that Jesus was God or Son of God, we are actually saying that God existed in finitude during the life of Jesus, and He also is infinite at the same time. This is uh, logically fallacious. Now, because you are uh, like you're coming from a historical standpoint. Did you want me to respond to that, or are you? Uh, it's a related, um, uh, uh, like the same question continuing. So, because you're coming at it from a historical standpoint, um, another thing that adds, like the historical evidence that adds, uh, like that supports this argument, is that the concept of Trinity, the word Trinity itself, it doesn't appear as a theological term till near the end of the second century after Jesus. So uh, it was first used by, as trias by Theophilus, the bishop of Antioch, in AD 180. So uh, we can, uh, and like adding up to that, when you refer to Mark chapter 14, verse 62, which is uh, what you say is the proof that Jesus claimed to be God, um, are you really applying the same criteria of objectivity that you were applying previously to the Quran? when uh, interpreting this as meaning that Jesus is claiming himself to be God? Because if you like, look at it completely objectively, uh, looking at the entire text, like, there is nothing in the entire text that's, that's saying that Jesus claimed to be God. And in fact, the verse that you yourself quote is actually saying son of man. So, I mean, 
I, I, I think questions. you get the, um, yeah. Don't go anywhere. What's your name? Uh, Munzer. Munzer, where are you from? Uh, I'm from Pakistan. Pakistan. Both khushi hui aap se I had the exact same questions when I, was, uh, when, I, when I practiced Islam. What I want to point out is that first and foremost, what we have to see is what Jesus claimed for himself. Now, the secondary stuff that follows, the theological unfolding or unpacking of what he said, we can spend years and years debating what it means. But what did he say about himself? That's the first thing we want to look at. So, again, that's a historical perspective. Theologians argue all day long, back and forth, back and forth. You know, theologians argue all the time, and I just sit back and watch and smile because you can't really prove it one way or another. But when it comes to historical events, we can show with relative degrees of certainty, if the evidence is good, if the records are good, what the most likely conclusion is. So first, and um, let me give you an answer before, if you feel like interjecting, we can talk afterwards. First, I want to point out you are absolutely right. The term Trinity is not used till the end of the second century. What is the doctrine of God called in the Quran? In Islam, what is the doctrine of God called? Uh, Tawheed. Tawheed. Is that in the Quran? Uh, I mean, no, the word Tawheed, the word tawheed the, is a derived word from Ahad. Alhamdulillah, yes. good. So you understand the word Tawheed is not itself in the Quran. In the same way, the word Trinity is not itself in the Bible. This doesn't pose a problem. The Shahada is not found in the Quran. You have the components of the Shahada in the Quran, but oh, you do not, hold on, you do not have La ilaha illallah Muhammad Rasulullah in that way found in the Quran. The component, hold on, the components are found in the Quran. With the Trinity, the components are found in the Bible. So, uh, the word Tawheed does appear in the Hadith. Oh, that's great, it's but it's not in the Quran. Generations of the prophets. And the, and the Hadith is much later. So we're looking at the, you asked for the Bible, and we have within the early canonical tradition, people calling a God a trinity in the early canonical tradition. In fact, much closer to Jesus' time than the Hadith were to Muhammad's time. So it, whichever way you stack it, when you're consistent, you end up with a stronger case for the trinity, for Jesus' deity. Now I want to continue on to your next part of your question which is, is Jesus finite or infinite? The argument is that Jesus is, you know, actually I'm going to pose it in a slightly different way. Can Allah come onto this world if he wants? Can he be in this world if he wants? Uh, I, I wouldn't think so. You wouldn't because, think so. So, you, so Allah's omnipotence is limited. He can't come onto this world. It's, it's like, basically, you, Allah, Allah cannot do... Uh, logically fallacious thing. Like he cannot create a square circle, right? Mm-hmm. Because that's that's something logically. But fallacious. how do so we know that's what this is? That Allah, Allah but, how, but how do we know that's what this is? Because, for example, in Surah Al Imran, when Allah is talking to Moses, it says in Surah Al Imran, I think it's Surah Al Imran. It might be Surah 18, but double check. Um, that Allah, as He spoke to Moses, Allah was in the bush. Allah was in the bush. So if you want to say that meant something else, well, you're going to have to argue with the Quran on that one. It seems to be pretty clear that Allah can emanate his voice from a physical place. He can be in a physical place in a sense. In the same way, we don't believe, I don't believe that God coming to this earth limits his omnipotence. It's not a limitation of his omnipotence. Jesus has taken on flesh. God the Father is still everywhere. God, Jesus, the Son, is here on this earth. It's a limitation in that sense, but it's not a limitation of his nature. He is both the divine and human nature. That's the argument. Now, I want to uh, talk about briefly, and then we're going to have to go to the next question, but let's talk afterwards for sure. You asked about the Son of Man. You said he's not calling himself the Son of God. He's calling himself the Son of Man. I'm emphasizing to you, my friend, when this hit me 
again, while I was practicing Islam, when this hit me, it hit me like a bolt of lightning. The claim son of God, according to Jews at that time, was not anything divine. Adam was called the son of God. Solomon was called the son of God. In the Psalms, it says you are gods. It's not a divine claim to call someone a son of God. But when someone refers to that son of man coming on the clouds of heaven, who's going to receive glory, authority and sovereign power and people of every nation and language are going to worship him with the worship due only to God. That son of man is more than just a human. He is divine. He's going to be worshipped by all people of all time. So when Jesus calls himself the son of man, he's not, it's not the son of God title. And lots of Christians get this wrong. So I'm not, I'm not pointing the finger at you. Lots of Christians say, oh, son of man means he's human and son of God means he's God. No, it's the other way around. In the Jewish context, son of God was a normal human title. Son of man from Daniel 7, that was something divine. Go back and read Daniel chapter 7. See that this man is worshipped by all people from all eternity. This man, or one who looks like a human anyway, is worshipped by all people alongside of God the Father. That's the one Jesus is claiming to be. Definitely understand that point that I'm trying to make. And so when you see that Jesus' claim is found there in Mark 14, 62, it's found in all the Gospels. And every time Jesus uses the term Son of Man, he's alluding to that. You cannot extract that from the Gospels. So please put Mark 14, 62 next to Daniel chapter 7 and see what Jesus is claiming for himself. And we'll talk afterwards for the rest. Lord bless you, my friend. We'll take one last... Isn't that amazing? That's heaven. Hey, I'm going to get Dr. Nabil. He's coming here. That way, when I stand before God, he'll say, did you teach them my word? I said, I tried, but this man really helped me out. He knows God's word. Isn't it amazing? We've had Tommy Abraham here who was, he, he said, I came to know the living God. Jesus Christ by opening up his word. Listen, it says in the beginning, who created? God. He is the Alpha, He is the Omega. He is the beginning, He is the end. He is the same yesterday, today, and forever. That's our God. He is the great I Am. He is Jehovah. He is Yahweh. He is all of the wonderful names that we've even taught and learned throughout cultures and through time, that's our God. And so as we look into the scriptures, I couldn't help but play this video as the Lord was really moving in me this week to talk about just how real God is. And I want not just for you to go through the motions of your Christian responsibilities. I want you to know God's word. So I invite you to the Burning Bush Roundtable and Conference. At this conference, you will have a one-on-one -on -one confrontation with Almighty God. Moses was schooled in all of the learning of the Egyptians. Yet he studied at the Temple of the Sun. He learned reading, writing, trigonometry, geometry, science, mathematics, astrology, music, art, military science, and the religions of his day. However, God took Moses to a brief life-changing seminar. It was the Burning Bush Conference. Moses learned more in a matter of moments than all of the years of his life before. This conference changed the course 
of history. New Hope, I believe, and I truly believe, if we will journey to the Burning Bush Conference, to the bush that is burning, but is not consumed, and learn and apply the absolute truths there, our lives will be changed forever. Exodus chapter 3. I'm going to start reading in verse 1. Here was the call of Moses. It was the burning bush. We know the story before that. We know that he was raised with Egyptians. Pharaoh's daughter took him in. We know now that he has fled. The angel of the Lord comes to him. He starts to experience who the living God is. Before I even start this, I'm going to ask you this question. Do you have a God story? Have you experienced the living God in your life? Do you know who He is? And if you haven't, man, you need to get to Him. You need to have a relation. He says, if you'll just draw nigh to me, I'll draw nigh unto you. He loves you. You heard me say, seek you first the kingdom. In the beginning of the Lord's prayer, says, Our Father which art in heaven, hallowed be thy name. Thy kingdom come. The last part of it, it says, uh, Thy kingdom come, thy will be done. It says, As it is in heaven, as it is on earth. He says, For thine is what? The kingdom and the power and the glory. God wants to reveal himself to you. Watch how he does to Moses. Here's the call of Moses. Now Moses kept the flock of Jethro, his father-in-law, the priest of the Midian, and he led the flock of the backside of the desert and came to the mountain of God, even unto Horeb. The angel of the Lord appeared unto him in a flame of fire out of the midst of a bush, and he looked, and behold, the bush burned with fire. And the bush was not consumed, and Moses said, I will now turn aside and see this great sight, why the bush is not burnt. How can that be possible, he asks. Verse 4, And when the Lord saw that he turned aside to see, God called unto him out of the midst of the bush and said, Moses, Moses. And he said, Here am I, Lord. And he said, Draw nigh hither. Put off thy shoes from off thy feet, for the place whereon thou standest is holy ground. Moreover, he said, I am the God of thy father, the God of Abraham, the God of Isaac, the God of Jacob. And Moses hid his face, for he was afraid to look upon God. The Lord said, I have surely seen the affliction of my people which are in Egypt, and have heard their cry by reason of their taskmasters, for I know their sorrow. And I am come down to deliver them out of the hand of the Egyptians and to bring them up out of the land into a good land and a large unto a land of flowing with milk and honey to the place of the Canaanites and the Hittites and the Amorites and the Perizzites and the Hivites and the Jebusites. And here's where God now starts to commission Moses and says, all right, here's what I want you to do. Now, therefore... Behold, the cry of the children of Israel is coming to me, and I have also seen the oppression wherewith the Egyptians oppressed them. Come now, therefore, and I will send thee unto Pharaoh, and thou mayest bring forth my people, the children of Israel, out of Egypt. Verse 11 says, And Moses said unto God, Now, I want you to underline this. And it was another message that I, I spoke on years ago. But it says, Who am I? Take that in your Bible, underline it. That I, I want you to circle it. 
should go unto Pharaoh that I, circle it again, should bring forth the children of Israel out of Egypt. If you'll notice there, there are three eyes. And in behind them, they were doing the doo-wop song, It's All About Me. How can I do this? How am I going to be able to, to deliver them? Are you kidding me? How can I? Well, listen, you can't do anything with I, but you can do all things with God. We have to lean on him. We have to trust him. And so we notice here that he's now starting to say, listen, and, and he brings it out to him. No, I am that I am. And so Moses continues, verse 12, and he says, Certainly I will be with thee, and this shall be a token unto thee that I have sent thee. When thou hast brought forth the people out of Egypt, ye shall serve God upon this mountain. And Moses said unto God, Behold, when I come unto the children of Israel, and shall say unto them, The God of your fathers has sent me unto you, and they shall say to me, What is his name? What shall I say unto them? And don't you like, here's Yahweh. Here's where it's interpreted. And God said unto Moses, I am that I am. And he said, Thus shalt thou say unto the children of Israel, I am hath sent me unto you. And God said moreover unto Moses, Thus shalt thou say unto the children of Israel, The Lord God of your fathers, the God of Abraham, the God of Isaac, and the God of Jacob hath sent me unto you. This is my name forever, and this is my memorial unto all generations. Go and gather the elders of Israel together and say unto them, The Lord God of your fathers, the God of Abraham, of Isaac, and of Jacob appeared unto me, saying, I have surely visited you and seen that which is done to you in Egypt. And I have said, I will bring you up out of the affliction of Egypt into the land of the Canaanites and the Hittites and the Merites and the Perizzites and the Hivites and the Jebusites into a land flowing with milk and honey. Isn't that, isn't that amazing? Children are raised in a camp of slavery, and yet he says, go tell them they'll have a land flowing with milk and honey. Now here is a prince going, are you kidding me? They're slaves. So now they're going to believe me. They've raised their kids there. They've been in slavery for years. And now I'm going to go to them and tell them, guess what you have coming to you? Great blessings. They're going to look at me and go, are you kidding me? You know, isn't it funny how we always tell people, once you come to know Jesus Christ, you're born again, you're a new creation, a new life. And yet, there's new life. There's no new life. Because we've got to get in the Word. We've got to grow. We've got to be discipled in the grace and knowledge of Jesus Christ. Man, I know when I was saved. I know when I was baptized. I know when, when the Lord has spoke to me. Because, you know what, there should be new life. There should be new activity in our life. It says we're born again in John 3, 3. So we continue. And in verse 18 it says, And they shall hearken to the voice, and thou shalt come, thou the elders of Israel, unto the king of Egypt, and ye shall say unto them, The Lord God of the Hebrews hath met with us, and now let us go, we beseech thee, three days' journey into the wilderness, that we may sacrifice to the Lord our God. And I am sure that the king of Egypt will not let you go, no, not by a mighty hand. And I will stretch out my hand and smite Egypt with all my wonders, which I will do in the midst thereof. And after that, he will let you go. 
And I will give this people favor in the sight of the Egyptians. It shall come to pass that when you go, you shall not go empty. But every woman shall borrow of her neighbor and of her that sojourneth in her house jewels of silver and jewels of gold and raiment. And you shall put them upon your sons and upon your daughters and ye shall spoil the Egyptians. Let's pray. Father, we thank you for your word this morning. Lord, challenge us, encourage us. Lord, I just pray that, Lord, anointing will, will fall upon your message. Lord, encourage us. And if somebody's here today that don't know you, Lord, start to press upon their heart to come into fellowship and relationship with you. Father, thank you for the great story and for revealing yourself as the great I am. In your name we pray. Amen. Number one, God has a passion for us. Two, God has a new possession for us. God has a new perspective for us. And we continue with, God has a promise for us. Now God wants to partner with us. And then we'll conclude this morning. And I'll do it quickly for you. Moses' self-confidence, as you noticed in the scripture, here it was shattered. His ambition has been abandoned. He had ceased contending for the cause. He had surrendered to the adverse circumstances all around him. Forty years earlier, Moses had risked his life for his people. Then he was what? Rejected by his people. Fear gripped his life and he fled from the wrath of Pharaoh. He became a shepherd of his father-in-law's sheep. Moses owned nothing. Shepherds were an abomination to the Egyptians. In the eyes of Moses' world, he was now a failure. Look what I had. And now, look what I have. When Moses' first son was born, his name was Gershom which actually means driven or thrust out. This expressed the feelings and beliefs of Moses. Forty years of failure, of loneliness, of desperation, of exhaustion, and yet of frustration. Suddenly Moses saw a bush that was burning in the desert. Moses went over to the bush. The first words he heard from the bush were what? Moses. Moses. God knew his name. God knew his address. God knew his location. God also knew his shattered dreams. God knows who you are. God knows where you are. And God knows what you are. Robert Schuller's daughter, listen, lost a leg because of a horrible skiing accident. She learned to walk all over again. And after she returned home from the hospital, Scholler plucked a rose from his rose garden and began to play. He loves me. He loves me not with his daughter. And we've all been there. And hopefully in prayer that the last one will be. He loves me. And she said, let me have that, daddy. And she said, you don't have to do that. I know who loves me. He loves me. He loves me. He loves me. He loves me. She knew her position in God. She knew where she was at. She knew the passion of God. In this story, right off the beginning, do you believe that God loved the children of Israel? Amen. God loved His people. Just as much today, God loves you. He knows where you're at. So does the government. They know when you pick up your phone, the GPS tells them right where you're at. But God has a better GPS. God's simple plan of salvation. That's GPS. He knows your name, your address, your location. And he wants you to be passionate about him.
That's what God was saying to Moses. Would you just be passionate? Number two, God has a new possession for us. It says in Luke chapter 3, verse 2, And the angel of the Lord appeared unto him in a flame. And behold, there was a burning in the bush. Moses has been in the wilderness for 40 years, and I'm sure that he has seen a zillion acacia bushes. These bushes are scrawny, ugly, snaggly looking in the desert. They have distorted, twisted limbs. Some of them, if you see the bush, they're, they're smaller round ones, and other ones are trees, and they grow kind of up as an umbrella. And some of you have seen those out in the desert. There's not been one day that he has rushed home to his wife, Zipporah, and said, Hey, I've seen acacia bush. He didn't say that, but I know what he went home and he said. See, the acacia bushes were so ordinary and so common in the wilderness, they were insignificant to everyone. And I'm sure that at the conference, they weren't really a conversation at the round table. However, when the glory of God filled that bush, it was transforming into something, and it transformed it into something extraordinary, a beautiful sight for Moses to behold. That night when Moses came home, he told his wife and family what he had seen in the wilderness that day. He told about the bush that was on fire but was not consumed. However, I'm here to announce to every person here at New Hope, if you will come to the Burning Bush Conference, if you will come to God and let God transform your life, you will make an eternal contribution to the glory of God. The world looks at the church without God's power. They say that it is nothing more than a thorn bush. We can go ahead and build the prettiest church. People will come for miles just to say, wow, that's amazing. The landscaping can be awesome. The furniture can be awesome. But if there's not a burning fire within this church, nothing is awesome. We need to have a consuming fire we need to be a church that begins to be burned up but not consumed we need to burn people will come to god the ordinary becomes an extraordinary when god is in the middle of it don't you love being different when was the last time someone said to you i see something different about you what is it that's different about you no some of them walk away go there's a lot of things different about him. Nobody wants to know who that person is. We should have a consuming fire. When I saw that, I said, Lord Jesus, it's a fire. Go sweet brown. No, and I actually, as I was looking, I'm sitting in there, and I'm in my prayer room, and I'm watching that video this past week, and I'm in there going, here's what I said. Oh, snap, you got him. Glory! Becky's like, what are you doing in there? I said, you ought to see this video. If we knew God's word. Now, I know it's difficult for some of you to go, but pastor, I have the King James Version. And it's all the these and the vowels and the Elizabethan language. By the time I start, I'm so bored and I'm yawning. Matter of fact, I'm sleeping, snoring. But you know what? Hey, there's the new King James Version. There's other versions out there you can sit down and start to read. That will flow. Yes, I love the King James Version. For me, I've, I've memorized Scripture my whole life. It's just my language. 
But I want you in the Word. I want you to have a consuming fire. I want people to say, I don't know what's going on, but something's going on up there at that local church. I want you to do something right now. Look around. Are there empty seats? Let's fill those seats up. It's your responsibility. In 2015, let's grow the church. Let's let people say, you know what? This is better than an Ohio State game. All right. Maybe I'm not the quarterback. I'm trying to be the quarterback here, but let's, let's go with it, okay? We need to get excited about who our God is. Not, well, it's the Sabbath, and I need to go to keep it holy. That's not why we're here. We're here to have a relationship and learn His Word. That's why we're here. So we saw here that God has a passion for us. God has a new possession for us. A consuming fire. Three. God has a new perspective for us. We see in verses 3 through 5. Here, years since Moses has been intellectually challenged, Moses believes that someone with high enough education could analyze and figure out what was going inside that burning bush. So Moses walks up with all of his educational degrees plastered on his shepherd's cloak. He tries to figure out this weird phenomenon that's taking place. Then God speaks to Moses and commands him to take off his shoes because he was on holy ground. God demanded a holy reverence for what God was doing, even though Moses could not explain what God was doing. You hear me? Even though Moses could not explain what God was doing, it was there he received fresh revival and a revelation from God. Wow, I'm going to sit on that one for just a minute. That's amazing. I mean, okay, Pastor, I've heard this consuming fire, the burning bush story several times. And I get it. No, do you really get it? Do you really get it? Is God as powerful today as he was back then? Why have we limited him? I pledge allegiance to the flag of the United States of America. How's the rest of it go? For which it stands, indivisible, with liberty for all. Very good. Are we a nation that's under God? Here Moses saw something. And he scratched his head and said, okay, I'll see if I can do this one. Most of us would do the same thing. Listen, I know how real the Holy Spirit is. Now, being raised a Baptist boy, I know I had limitations. I'm a born-again, Bible-believing, separated, soul-sanctified, Holy Spirit-rolling pastor. Because I have Jesus in my life. But I will tell you, I think I've had limitations put on me over my life. I love God. And I want you to experience God in His fullness just like Moses did. And I'm going to tell you this. I don't believe God's done with us. Prophecy has to be fulfilled, right? We just went through Christmas. The great prophet Isaiah said, For unto you is born this day in the city of David a Savior, which is Christ the Lord. He's coming to save His people. So He's going to continue to fulfill it till He comes back. Let me move forward here. Listen to this. In May of 1996, some of you might remember this story. The greatest disaster in mountain climbing occurred where? On Mount Everest. The climbers stayed too long at the summit. A storm began to blow in. 
As they made their way down to an intermediate camp, they were engulfed in a full-scale blizzard. The wind exceeded 60 knots. The chill factor was more than 100 degrees below zero. With the supplemental oxygen tanks running out and their headlamp batteries running down, they found themselves in the struggle for their lives. Fortunately, there are two experienced guides with, with this party of 11. Unfortunately, these two guides chose the wrong path back down the mountain. John Krakauer published a book entitled Into Thin Air. He wrote, for the next two hours, this group staggered blindly around in the storm, ever more exhausted and hyperthermia, hoping to blunder across the camp. One of the guides said that it was just total chaos. People are wondering all over the place. I'm yelling at everyone, trying to get them to follow a single leader. Finally, around 10 p.m., I walked over this little rise, and, and I felt like I was standing on the edge of the earth. I could sense a huge void beyond. The group had unwittingly strayed to the easternmost edge of the lip of a 7,000-foot drop down the Kang Shung face of Mount Everest. The group then decided that they were going to huddle up and wait for a break in this terrible storm. They were without shelter and not much light and oxygen. And many of the leaders that were there were confused. Some of those climbers survived, but others died. Yet you see, the tents of their camp were only 300 yards away from them. A distance they could have covered in less than 50 minutes they had lost their way Moses walks over to this bush how many years did they wander in the wilderness 40 years that's many like many of us are like that if God is speaking to you to surrender you need to do that he even told the children of Israel Turn from your wicked ways. Seek my face and I will heal your land. See, this land is flowing with milk and honey. Your life is awesome. Your life will flow with milk and honey. Your life in Christ will be awesome if you'll just surrender to His will. What are you dealing with that's keeping you so bound up that you can't surrender to Almighty God? Listen. God has a promise for us. God chose to identify Moses, his father Abraham, Isaac, and Jacob. God could have identified himself in so many different ways, yet he chose to say that I have a covenant myself with people like you and me. <coughs> Excuse me. Abraham had his inconsistencies. Isaac had its inadequacies. I'm having a difficult time this morning. And Jacob had his improprieties. God was saying to Moses, in spite of their weaknesses and failures, I will still be with them. The covenant that I made to them has now become your covenant. The word covenant means agreement. This is my agreement. Now listen closely. When you see in his word, in verse 6... He says, here's my promise. What I'm telling you, I'm telling the children of Israel. This group of uneducated, they didn't have anything. They lived in slavery. What did they have? 
And yet God says, I'm going to take them out of there. And now, listen, Moses, you're going to teach them how to live a godlike life. Let's see if they surrender, right? So then we look at the next point. And then God says he wants to partner with us. So he said right there in verses 7 through 10, that was the Great Commission. Listen, here's what I want to do to you. I want you to go. I want you to deliver to these people. The cry of the people of, in Egypt, I'm going to deliver them and bring them into a new land. This is going to be a divine deliverance by the hand of God. No doubt, Moses says to God, listen, that a boy, God. I'm glad to see you getting on track. You know, I tried to do this 40 years ago. I can hardly wait to see you reach down and defeat the Egyptians and bring out the Israelites. No, here's what God says. You have it all wrong, Moses. You're not going to sit up on that mountaintop while I do all the work. You are going to be my spokesperson. You're going to be my servant. You're to be involved in the work of God. And you're going to go and deliver those people. And I know Moses said then, oh, Lord Jesus, it's a fire. And I ran for my life. No, I really do believe that right here. You can see true faith practiced out. He said, okay, God, I'm going to be obedient. Here's what I'm going to do. I'm listening. Has God said that to you? Has he said, get up from where you're at. Here's a calling on your life. Here's your gifting. You've been bought with a price. Now you need to do something about it. See, we, do, we go, I, I think you were talking to the guy next to me. That wasn't to me. God loves you. At the Burning Bush Roundtable Conference, we hear the voice of God telling us to participate in the deliverance of the lost. As your pastor, I love that every morning is fresh and new. I love that every day of my life is fresh and new. Can I just tell you, you're an encouragement to me today. You came to church. Isn't it great to all be in the house of God? We're all together. You know, sometimes we take that for granted. I want to thank my friends from out in the Ritztown area, Edinburgh area, that have traveled all the way over here to be a part of our worship service today. Thank you. Thank you for being with us. Thank you for my friends who walk the gorge and have the opportunity to come. Thank you so much for being with us. We're glad that we're fulfilling the will of our Father. And I'm going to give you a... Point number six, and then we'll close. God has enough power for us. You see, God calls us to do a task that we cannot do. He calls us to heal the sick. We could not do that. He calls us to cast out devils. We could not do that. We cannot accomplish the task by ourselves. We must have the authority of Christ in and through our lives. We must have the power of God in our lives. You see, God said to Moses, I will certainly be with you. And Moses said, who are you, God? God said, I am who I am. I am what you need for the circumstances you will confront in your tasks and work for God. Yahweh, I am God with us.
Isn't that awesome? This is such a wonderful way to tell others about what Christ has done in and through your life. So I ask you to talk about it. I ask you to say something. Maybe there was a time in your life as I close that, that maybe you experienced the power of God. You saw Him real in your life. And now you've just said, I'm not doing it anymore. I'm done. I, I can't. And maybe God is calling you today to now full surrender. You know, there's nothing that pleases me more than to have men of God preach while I'm gone. Have men of God in our church to continue to, to preach the word. And I don't care if there's two or if there's 200 here. God's still going to do his work. His anointing is going to flow. Are we receptive to God? Do you want a church where it's a consuming fire? Do you want a church that's alive? Amen. We want a church where there's miracles taking place. Where you can say, that man has been delivered from his sicknesses. That man has been healed. This person is saved. Why do we limit the almighty power of God? And I love God. You want me to tell you why I'm encouraged today? The Lord spoke to me last night. And here's what He said in my eyes. As I bowed my head, burning bush. Did he leave convicted? He did. He left convicted. He had a job to do. He had something to do and that was to deliver the children of Israel. Did he do that? Did he have the power of God on his life? Amen. He did. We have the power of God if we'll just receive it as his children. It is so real and it's relevant for us today if we'll just receive it and accept it. God wants to use all of you, for His glory and for His will, if you'll let Him. Three things I want to ask you. Are you willing to attend the Burning Bush Roundtable Conference? Are you open to allowing God to call you to a task that you cannot do by yourself? Do you believe that God will go with you to this lost and dying world filled with idolatry, filled with sin and iniquity? And then last, I challenge this church to come to this burning bush and allow God to prove his passion, his possession, his perspective, his promises, his partnership. And better yet, I want God to reveal his power in and through your life. Will you accept it today? Will you receive it? If you don't know Jesus Christ, this Lord and Savior, if you'll all please stand to your feet, we're going to have an altar call and an invitation. And I ask all of you, if you don't know Jesus, this is your time. With every head bowed and every eye closed as we go into the potter's hand.
Maybe where you're standing this morning, you can say, God, I need a fresh anointing in my life. I need you to do a work in and through my life. I have been lazy. I have muted my mic system. I haven't told people about your son, Jesus Christ. I need to win souls. I need to be a great servant. And better yet, I need the power of God on my life. This morning, God loves you. And as we sing this song, would you just come to him just as you are, realizing that he is the potter and you are the clay. Father God, we thank you for this morning, for this challenge. And Lord, I just pray that you'll continue to bless. Lord, thank you for your word. Thank you for speaking to us. Lord, help us to understand that you know what? Father, I realize that you can come down and do whatever you will. And Lord, I pray for those that are lost in Islam. I pray for those that are lost right now in the name of Jesus Christ. As someone is sharing the gospel. And maybe there's a Muslim or someone that just does not know you. As we heard in here. That they're trying to bring reason to your word. Father, may we live a faith-filled, full life. Living it in and through you. May this church be a consuming fire. May people see that it's a bonfire over there at New Hope. That souls are being saved and lives are being changed because of the message. Father God, we love you. Thank you for speaking to us. Lord, I acknowledge, as you said in your word, I am that I am. Thank you. You are God with us. In your holy name we pray. Amen. If you'll sing.